2: This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network.
1: Hello, Hash friends. You are watching us on Coindesk TV and you're listening on The Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jen Sinassi. On today's show, we got David Morris, Zach Seward, and Will Foxley to shake up this Taco Tuesday. As an aside, we are still looking for a taco sponsor. So please reach out to our people. We would really, really love that. Zach, you got our first story. What is going on with it's Taco Tuesday. And on the first, we got this. Oh, that's bored.
2: Uh Okay, we're back to it. Let's talk about Google Cloud. (laughs) Google Cloud is making its way a bit further into the Web3 landscape. Not the first time Google Cloud has done a notable thing over in crypto land, but this one certainly stands out. They're working with Coinbase to accept crypto payments from certain companies on cloud services. Really interesting development and again, represents a further step by Google Cloud into the Web3 space. You've seen them at various crypto events. You've heard them talking about their learning approach. You've seen them for a long time on the Hedera Hashgraph, Hedera Hashgraph Governing Council, among other things. This one suggests some continued interest and involvement crypto for payments, which is a bit new. So notable, notable thing, notable development. And I'm gonna toss it straight to David for his thoughts on this one. David, what are you thinking?
3: The payments thing is, Interesting because it's not interesting, if that's the right way to put it. The idea that of of crypto payments integrations with mainstream anything has kind of lost a a great deal of currency, so to speak, over the last, you know, three to four years. In 2016, 2015, that was definitely a big, I guess, bullish signal. You would look at things like uh, what's Patrick Burns' company, Overstock, was taking Bitcoin. That was big news in, you know, 2014 or something like that but we don't see a whole lot of things like that. And it's frankly, because they're not that interesting at the end of the day. But this, I think, is a bit of an exception, particularly because it sort of begins to hint at one of the actual fundamental advantage of crypto, because you can get automations going, you can get integrations that can do things that, you know, an individual bank account can't necessarily. But Zach, that also leads me back to A question, because you said this is enabling crypto payments for some companies, does that mean it's not for everybody? Is it not open access?
2: Yeah, I don't know yet. I mean, they said that's what they said in their announcement. They're going to start letting some customers pay for cloud services, with cryptocurrencies early in 2023. That's the news that was announced. What that means in practice in terms of who will be allowed to and who will not be, still a bit TPD as far as I understand it. But I saw Jen had her hand up, so I'm tossing it to her.
1: Yeah, I read this story and I was like, oh, it's kind of boring, but also exciting at the same time. So, David, I share your sentiment. I think when we think about this story, I think we have to think about the ecosystem, right? So companies like Netflix and Airbnb are customers of Google Cloud. And so when we think about the ecosystem here, you know, we can think about Netflix or Airbnb accepting crypto. And it's no longer this novel thing where they they hold it or we don't know what they do with it. They convert it into fiat. There's now ecosystems being built out so that that crypto can actually act like a traditional currency. And so I think that's why I was excited after I was bored this morning when I read this story. Will, (laughs) what do you got?
4: Yeah, I'll take it really quick and then bounce it back up to Zach for final thoughts on the story. And we have a lot of these Google stories, but 95% of them are fake. And it's great to see a real one. Google stepping into the landscape, into the Web3 landscape and adding a little bit of its muscle behind Coinbase. Coinbase is obviously like very strong, so they might not even need the additional strength, but Google stepping in and taking things pretty seriously and even lending some of their top talent and their top applications on behalf of Coinbase, that's a big deal. And I think that's why a lot of people in the past have tried to make those fake press releases, including Google in their project, because it's a large DLC, something like Google Web 2 giant step into this space. And that is a bear market thing, right? A lot of times during a bull market, we see these nice headlines. They don't really matter typically. So when the bear market happens, we have these headlines. That's when we're seeing some applications being built for
2: the future. Zach, I'll throw it up to you. Yeah, I was just going to note a little sidebar, you know, noticed by some folks over on, on Twitter and covered over, to the, over at the block. If you pop in an Ethereum address into Google, now you get those little pre-populated little boxes that show you the balance of individual addresses. So in addition yeah. to some of these, You know more business-focused initiatives. You have Google seemingly experimenting in good faith in terms of adapting some of these services into their the bread and butter, their search product, right? So that's kind of cool to be able to see it. Like you know, it's pulling from EtherScan, right? They're not creating their own block explorer, but they're pulling from EtherScan and showcasing balances is actually a really interesting, if incremental, step forward in terms of making Google a bit web a bit more Web three friendly. So anyway, interesting stuff out of Google for sure. One to watch as it relates to the Web two giants dabbling in web3 but we'll change gears let's go macro david you got the next story of the day
3: yeah and i can't believe nobody has said anything yet i'm dressed up today because i'm talking about serious economic issues i'm wearing a tie because i deserve (laughs) to be taken seriously (laughs) and i know everybody on this show just thinks i'm a clown (laughs) but i'm really no you can call me
1: david (laughs) i noticed the tie (laughs) and said something but you didn't hear me before the show so don't Uh, come down on us Mm -hmm. we see you
3: my shirt is also aliasing a little bit. Sorry to anybody with epilepsy out there. Be careful. So anyway, we have a series of reports. This isn't really just one story. We have the World Bank, the United Nations, and now the IMF most recently saying that we should expect a, a global recession in you know, the coming months if it hasn't already basically begun. And we also have Jamie Dimon saying the same thing just a couple days ago. And, you know, you can expect to start seeing these things come up as CEOs, especially of major banks and other financial institutions, make these statements as a way to get a headline the way we're giving Jamie one right now, because it has really become a pretty easy prediction to make. And it's it's really about some very comprehensible things having to do with Russia and energy and interest rates. That's maybe a little bit more complicated. But we, uh, you know, and, and I think that crypto definitely needs to be paying attention to this because we're, we're trying to think about the market cycle. And we already have some headwinds with just domestic United States interest rates. And we're going to have, I think, bigger problems on a macro level going forward. There might be some upside down the road. A recession does have some some good features, but uh, it's a lot to worry about. And I see Will nodding, nodding his head in agreement. So, Will, how do you think this is going to play out in general or in crypto? That's my favorite part
4: of any crypto show. We all got to put our tinfoil hats on and predict the future of macroeconomics, even though we just like the coins. Uh, This one is interesting because we do have Jamie Dimon walking out front, talking about what the economic conditions of the future are going to be like. And there's a lot of other people who are saying very similar things. So last week, the UN also came out and said that they were pretty unhappy with, with what Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve are doing by increasing interest rates. And for good reason, right? We saw that Mortgages are now going up about 7%. It's the highest mortgage rate in the last 20 years. That's not great for economic development because people are not going to buy a house. I'm not going to buy a house right now. I'm probably going to wait. You're going to see a lot of asset prices go down because there's an inverse correlation between interest rates and asset prices. And that's going to slow businesses down as well. You can't sell your good for as much money as you used to in the past. So I think there are some things that sort of line up. That being said, to your your point, David, Everyone loves to be a Doomberg. Everyone loves to be zero hedge. Everyone loves to throw out this headline. It's how you get clicks. So I mean, fact who
2: knows check, what really continue. happens, right? Yeah, Zach, we'll <laughs> throw it up to you. I want to give it the fact check. David's got a fact check ready to drop. Come on, man, take it. Everybody loves to be zero hedge. I mean, maybe sometimes. That's it. That's all I got, Jen. <laughs> take it
4: away.
1: <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, the article says corporate America and Wall Street are already bracing for the downturn. And economists have been saying we're due for a recession since before COVID happened. Then we had all of these black swan events. There's a war in Ukraine, COVID happened. And so I think that corporate America should have been bracing for longer than maybe some of us would have expected. I wonder if they actually have. You know, We've seen what's happened to the crypto industry as we've kind of turned into the bear market. And I, I hope that corporate America has been preparing for this and that people aren't going to be the ones suffering at the end of the day. David, you said that there is some good that can come out of this recession. And so I want to throw it back to you so you can end us off on a good note. What is the good that can come out of this?
3: Well, I'll actually give you a two-part answer there because some of the good is it's good for the United States because a lot of this is spillover effects from the changes to interest rates, which you know, as, as Will pointed out, are not great for the real estate market domestically, but are, you know, according to all conventional wisdom, necessary to get inflation under control. And in the long term, that's really fundamentally necessary for a functioning economy. Unfortunately, as we're seeing everywhere from, from Europe to the UK to the developing world, that has really harsh impacts for countries outside of the United States, who basically wind up with terrible exchange rates. And that impacts their ability to export primarily, I'm sorry, import. And so they're dealing with inflation based on imports. Food is getting more expensive for people in the developing world. That's really bad. That's probably in a human dimension, the worst aspect of this is going to be what happens in the developing world for people who are gonna face for the first time in more than a decade, some probably serious challenges with literally just eating. So so all of that is bad and it is a cost paid by the rest of the world. To the United States primarily because of dependence on the dollar as a system of exchange. So we can put all of that under the why we maybe should move away from the dollar umbrella. But to speak to the, the real upside is that as, you know, Jen, you mentioned, there have been projections that we needed a recession or were due for a recession for a long time. I mean, 2008, we've had a little bit of pullbacks here and there, but in terms of a real recession that lasted on the order of a year or more. We haven't had one for more than a decade. There's debate, I'm sure, uh, on that. But essentially, a real recession has been a long time coming, and that means we get a lot of dead weight in the economy. That means we have a lot of zombie companies who are not making any profits. It means that we do not have a sustainable foundation for growth going forward. Uh, a, a recession clears out some of that. You get rid of, you know, maybe some unsustainable business models that have been relying on loans, and and so that's that's the upside: is that we have a year, perhaps two of of belt tightening. Um, We have some really serious impacts for the developing world, but then we come out of that with a lot of dead weight that is cleared out. Will, you want to get in?
4: Yeah, I just want to bring it back to Bitcoin and crypto and get your guys' opinions on this. I, I think the difference here for crypto is previously Bitcoin just been in a bull market. It's always grown in a bull market. It's been very cyclical, but the wider economy has always been permeable. And that's been great for Uh, technologists been great for entrepreneurs being able to build pretty easily with lots of credit floating around but if the market changes and we have a recession what happens to our four-year cycle theory right we had 2012 and we had 2016 2017 and then we had 2021 2022 are we seeing like another four-year cycle or is it just down only for quite a while until the market figures itself out again you know i think on bitcoin twitter we get a lot of opinions. Some people right now are just saying that Bitcoin's going to become like the new US Treasury bond, stuff like that. Like we just see such random, atrocious financial advice. But it does bear some questioning, right? What's going to happen with Bitcoin going into an actual recession? David, I'll throw it up to you for your opinion.
3: Yeah, sorry I'm monopolizing this segment, but it is why I wore the tie. And I think that what we get <laughs> is the four-year cycle stays the same and it's a monster next time around because We're going to have a lot of downward pressure. And when we're talking about fundamentally strong assets, including Bitcoin and probably Ethereum, we're going to have a lot of downward pressure. But the secular forces, the broader forces that make Bitcoin and Ethereum sensible for not just right now, but 10, 20 years down the road, those aren't going anywhere. And everybody forgets, recessions are shorter than you can imagine. Recessions last a year, two, three, and then you're out. And so things, you know, you get a recession, clear the brush. Keep the fire burning, and and then you go forward. I I don't think the the cycle gets interrupted. And also worth mentioning, we have a ton of venture capital floating around in the system right now, and there have been signs that it's going to continue. So I think that we benefit a lot from that in terms of floating through this. Uh, I hate to say it, but you're not wrong. (laughs) That was such a (laughs) bullish take. That was that was wow.
1: It really was. I I brought the bullish energy. Amazing.
2: Uh, Again, the tie, the tie. The tie, people, it's the tie.
5: (laughs) Zengo Crypto Wallet is an on chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which, until now, has only been available to multi billion dollar institutions. Zengo is the most secure Web3 wallet and the best place to keep your digital currency, NFTs, and assets secure. It's also fully recoverable using the wallet's biometric recovery kit. Get started at zengo.com slash hash and use code hash to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web 3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web3. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women, sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how-to's from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseuse, this podcast is for you. Let's get it.
1: hey everyone welcome back to the hash we are chatting about cnn so they've pulled the plug some people online are saying that they've pulled the rug on their nft project vault so in a statement released on monday the vault team said that the project was originally launched as a six-week experiment but expanded into something bigger no reason was given as to why cnn is closing down the initiative and the issue some people have is that vault promised future drops perks and community uh, and they won't be delivering on that so cnn staffer on discord said that they're currently working out the details to distribute either flow tokens or stable coins to collectors wallets that would amount to roughly 20 percent of the original mint price of each nft minted zach i'm going to toss this one up to you what do you think's going on with the
0: vault
2: i don't know bummer to those people who were who were sold Real a bill bummer. of goods that sucks so much for the impermanence of these things i guess well i don't know they have their things that will live on but i don't know these are these are sort of the web3 like interlopers that you see during bull market mania right they come in they say oh we want to do that too and then it doesn't really make sense or the demand goes away or people's interest in the mainstream withers as to whether these technologies can be used uh, at scale and then they just kind of they go away and that's fine. They experiment with it. Everyone's welcome to experiment. And hopefully, as long as feelings aren't hurt and people are made whole who are expecting things in the future, that should be fine. But to me, this is, hey, the people come, the bull markets happen, big brands, they experiment, they parachute in. And sometimes they don't have the conviction or the interest or see the demand to stick around and make it worth their while in these colder cycles. So that to me is sort of the big story. Yeah, curious to see what happens here. And I'll toss it to Will. He got his hand up there first.
4: Yeah, I got three things I want to bring up. One is that they are talking about giving a little bit of money back. I think you can still own your NFT, but they're saying they're going to give about 20% of the mint value of the NFT back to people who purchased it. They're still working on the details, but most likely be in USDC. So there is like a little bit of refund thing here that I think is notable. Of course, it's not entire price of the Mint, but you still have your NFT. So you get a little bit of money back. Two, it's funny to see CNN pull the rug here. A lot of times in crypto, we get down on startups and early founders who are trying to figure these things out. But even a big corporation like CNN seemingly can't figure it out, right? These are really tough things to work on. And the last thing I want to talk about is the person within CNN who launched this project, I guess, possibly walked away or maybe CNN walked away from it. What does that mean to be building Web3 products within a traditional corporation? It's probably really hard to get go ahead on these things in the first place. But a lot of brands did it during the bull market. We saw Pepsi do it. We saw Bush and Azar do it with their beer stuff. We saw a bunch of other different corporations launch Web3 or NFT projects. And they've all kind of disappeared into the ether. I wonder what's going to happen to those people who are working on it. Maybe it panned out for them. This case doesn't seem like it did. David, up to you.
3: Yeah, so I just wanted to throw in a little bit of sort of uh, Trad 5 business context here, which is that CNN, of course, was part of the package of stuff that got bundled into a merger between Discovery and Warner Brothers that happened early this year. And you might remember that CNN also had plans to roll out a streaming service called CNN Plus that was closed down literally the week after it opened because the Discovery team decided they didn't want to do it. And they're basically the people in control of this merger. So there's also just this sense that CNN is peering back a little bit more broadly. The the second thing that I want to say is I don't entirely understand the logistics here. I guess the vault was their NFT platform, not just the NFTs that they were selling. And that's, the I think, a really crucial thing to pay attention to here, which is that there are a ton of ways for organizations to sell NFTs without building their own platform. And it's not necessarily the hugest lift in the world. So I think that if you're in the web three space, the thing to take away here is that you have a lot to gain from selling white label services to companies like CNN that want to go in. And you know, Time also was involved in NFTs and apparently made a lot of money during the bull market. And of course the cycles are super high, the lows are super low, but this stuff does stick around. And, you know, if you're more on the CNN side trying to build something, you have to know you have to stick around, right? You have to keep this platform going. I can't imagine the maintenance costs were super high. But if you're trying to then become the person who's selling a service, not just the person who's selling the NFTs, you can't shut it down just because the market went the wrong way. So, you know, if you're trying to do picks and shovels, they have to be on sale year-round, not just in spring. January. wrap it less- up?
1: Yeah, I think there's also a lesson here for people. Who are NFT buyers who are investing in NFTs. If you're buying an NFT, just make sure you, you like the actual artwork or the JPEG or the video or or whatever it is, because this project might not deliver on the milestones. They're just figuring it out and maybe think to yourself, if, if the NFT I'm investing in doesn't do 50% of the things that they say they're going to do, am I going to be okay? And then I think that you'll be okay. So think about that.
4: (laughs) buy low well, sell high am i right jen there you go there that's go. it
1: buy low sell high think about it don't invest what you can't afford to mm-hmm. lose
4: mm-hmm. there we
1: go All those things.
4: <laughs> some good stuff there okay let's go over to something more sensible <laughs> let's not talk about nfts anymore they've had their time in the sunshine mm, let's move over to some bitcoin stuff we got a nice bitcoin update block subsidiary rather spiral is working with mining firm brains to spearhead new bitcoin mining upgrades as a disclosure, I do work for a Bitcoin mining company, but I have nothing to do with this update at all. It is a larger update for the Bitcoin ecosystem, and that's why it's important to see a firm like Block, which is quite large and has very large handholds in the traditional finance world, working so in like a detailed manner fashion with a team like Brains, which is both a mining pool and also a development firm for Bitcoin mining. What they're launching here is Stratum V2. It's a new way to decentralize how Bitcoin mining works, further decentralize Bitcoin, make Bitcoin stronger against censorship attacks, making sure that anyone who is mining on the network can actually mine without having to use a pool, for instance. It's a pretty big update, and it's great to see Jack Dorsey's firm continuing to put more effort into updating Bitcoin. The one thing I want to note before we throw this away is like these updates with Bitcoin are often so boring, but they're concrete and they're important, right? A lot of times we talk about stable coins, talk about Ethereum updates, and those things feel very real because there's money involved with them or there's an exchange or I'm swapping some token. But with Bitcoin, Bitcoin's often very boring, has some really hard tech problems to get around, and that's why development is so slow. So seeing updates like this are really important because they don't come very often. David, I want to throw this one up to you, get your take on it.
3: I just wanted to provide one quick clarification. So if you haven't heard of Brains, which I'm not even sure how you pronounce it with the two eyes, but it's formerly Slush Pool. So if you've been around for a while, that's it. they apparently rebranded. I'm not totally sure about the structure, but it, it is, as Will said, really amazing to see Block, you know, form like an element of Square talking to the people who used to be Slushpool, Pool, who are you know complete crypto natives have been around for a long time, but there are definitely a lot of uh if you're if you're trying to get into the technical depths here there's a lot of uncertainty at least for me looking at just the quick read through uh, so will I think a lot of us are going to have questions for you and the first one is how does censorship resistance how does how does mining pool software have a role in censorship resistance? do you have any insight there that you can kind of fill us in yeah I can throw some
4: information your way the first thing I want to note though is like this topic is technical enough but both these companies have done so many rebrands can't even keep things straight so block was formerly mm. square which most people knew about them as and their subsidiary spiral which used to be square crypto is the one working on this oh my update. god i didn't even know that Brains, yeah, that's yes, ridiculous. yeah it's just insane they get they got to keep it illustrated for everyone brains is formerly slush pool but they've rebranded us brains as of uh, i think two months ago What's happening here is Bitcoin mining is centralized on the pool level where you, where you have a few entities that run servers. You have all these Bitcoin mining machines all over the world, they point their Bitcoin mining machines at these pools. These pools then talk to the Bitcoin network and the Bitcoin network gives them work and it goes back down the stack to the pool and then back to the machine. And so you have work going from the machines all the way to the Bitcoin network and then Bitcoin flowing back the other way to give you compensation for that work. The issue there, of course, is the pools, like anyone who's looking at Bitcoin the first time often comes across that and notices it's centralized. There's not a ton of downsides to it because you can easily swap between different pools. You can boot up your own pool pretty simply if you know how to code. So it's it's a workaround, but there's better ways to decentralize this mining application where you can go straight from your own mining machine, straight to the Bitcoin network and talk to it. And that's the ambition of Stratum V2. They're not quite there yet, and this is only one implementation. We've had Stratum V2 out since 2019, but it's missing a bunch of key features, uh, including some censorship resistant features. And that's what this update is trying to do. Uh, They're basically moving the lines every one yard, right? Because it's so hard to change Bitcoin. It's so hard to decentralize Bitcoin even further than it already is. But again, that leads you back to the importance of Bitcoin. It's hard to figure it out a lot of these things, so it's hard to improve on top of Bitcoin. That's why it takes so much time to come up with different ideas. To make it even more decentralized zach i saw you nod in so i'm gonna
2: throw it up to you i got nothing i just wanted to say david you say brains like brains like zombie style you didn't know that oh, yeah. that's how <laughs> that they, that's why that's how, <laughs> that's how you spell it that's how you spell it when you want give <laughs> a tie but you don't know how to say brains all right anyway that's it for the show today. i mean ties are <laughs> usually down. cover
3: for ignorance so
2: you know it's Taco Tuesday, everybody. All right, good time. So that's it. We'll be back on, on, uh, on Wacky Wednesday. Thanks for watching The Hash. I'm Zach. That's David. We got Jen. We got Will. Check us out on the Podcast Network. Check out All About Bitcoin at 3 p.m. Eastern on Coindesk TV. 3 p.m. And through it all, have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. See you, everybody. Thanks, guys. See ya.
1: You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to
2: hear from you, so if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, the hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.
5: Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad, because with Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. That's chime.com slash goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A., members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details.